I'm going to invite you this morning that you would open your Bible with me to the book of Philippians chapter 3. Philippians chapter 3. As you do turn there, continue to keep Pastor Jeff in prayer. Him and his wife Karen are in Israel already uh, waiting for the group, uh, which will leave this Tuesday. So those that are leaving to Israel leave on Tuesday. Keep them in prayer as they travel and that God would speak to them on a personal way. I know that I'm excited to be out there with them as well. But in Philippians 3, we have here a message from Paul to the church of Philippi but also to the church of Calvary Chapel of Downey. And the message here for us is that we would cultivate a spiritual mind. That's what we've been talking about through the first 11 verses of Philippians chapter 3. How can you have the spiritual mind? Well, he is looking at things on the earth from God's point of view. That's what it means to have a spiritual mind, to see all things here on earth from God's point of view. And as a result of being able to do that, he's not upset, Paul here, by the things that are behind him. He's not upset by the things that are around him or the things that are before him. Because things did not rob him of his joy. So he's trusting in God. He's having faith in the Lord. And because of that, he can cultivate a life of abundant joy. From the first 11 verses, he's explained to us already how his life has been transformed by the gospel of Jesus Christ. That it was his salvation by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. It wasn't of his own works, it wasn't of his own religion or in the trust in the law. It was in the grace of God, through faith in God, through Christ Jesus. And he explains to us that that is exactly how our salvation takes place. Verses 1 through 11 speaks of your salvation. Write that down. 1 through 11, your salvation. Verses 12 to 16 speaks of your sanctification. From the Christian's past to the Christian's present. And he ended there, verse 10 of chapter 3, saying that I want to know him. I want to know him through the power of his resurrection. And then finally, the fellowship of his suffering. <laughs> he said, I've done all these things. I counted as, count them as rubbish, as trash, for the excellency or the value of knowing him. And I want to know him to the point that it transforms my life in the power of his resurrection and in the fellowship of his suffering. And now he's writing with a spiritual humility. I want you to know, from a spiritual maturity, from a spiritual purity that he has not arrived yet. Yes, he's pursuing Christ, but he has not arrived yet. You are pursuing Christ right now. You're in a race, but you have not arrived yet. Nobody here is perfect. Everyone is on a race to and towards Christ's likeness. Nobody here is perfect. And he's reminding us that we have a lot to look forward to, that we must continue to grow yes you have been justified you are innocent before God now because you put your faith in Jesus Christ yes now you gave your life to Christ as you maybe rose your hand as you asked him to come into your life as your Lord and Savior maybe you went up to an altar call one day or in the privacy of your own home there in your bedroom 
You ask Christ to be your Lord and Savior. But what happens next? We are in a race that we would continue to grow in Christ Jesus. Notice this. The Christian life is a marathon. And we need to keep our heads up, our eyes forward, and our hearts upward in this race so that we can run in a way that pleases God. And he gives a special analogy in these verses and throughout the epistles describing Christian spiritual growth as a race and we as believers as runners. So today we're going to talk about running. I know a lot of you just got tired when I mentioned that. But we're going to talk about running in this Christian race. Because he explains to us that the believer has not and never will reach the goal of Christ's likeness here on earth. We will never arrive. We will never have achieved it. The only time that we would say confidently we've made it or we've arrived is when we're in heaven with Jesus Christ. But until then, we have not arrived. Know that today. You have not arrived yet. Each believer is on the track on his or her special lane where God has called you to run each with a specific goal of Christ-likeness. And if we reach that goal the way God desires that we would reach that goal, we will win the prize. But we must continue to pursue the goal. What is the goal? That we would know Him and that we would become more like Him. Notice that. Write that down. Memorize that the goal in this race is to know Him and to become like Him, to be conformed to His image. The image of His Son, Jesus. I want to know Him. That's why I'm in this race. I want to become more like Him, like Jesus. That's why I run in this race. And He ex now explains, He exhorts the believers here to press toward the goal. We've titled the message this morning, Pressing Toward the Goal. Why? Because we are on a pursuit towards Christ-likeness. But if we are in this pursuit, we need to press toward the goal. We're pressing today. Today we're going to press in God's Word so that we can press on in this race. Today we're going to press in towards this goal so that we can press forward, so that we can press toward the prize. You know, there's so many distractions in this world. And we went from running from Christ to running to Christ now. But as we're running to Christ, we have to understand there are three essentials for winning this race. And the reason why they're there, that he speaks of them, is so that we don't live off spiritual victories or failures from the past. That you don't become comfortable, that you don't start to go backwards instead of going forward. That you would pursue godliness that you would pursue being conformed to the image of Jesus that you would not cruise in this Christian life did you know that there is nothing such as cruise control for the Christian or we start to go through the motions in fact those three essentials for winning the race number one is press on number two is press forward number three is press toward the goal. Let's stand this morning as we read these few verses. Beginning there in chapter 3, verse 12. 
And he says this, not that I have already attained or I'm already perfected, but I press on that I may lay hold of that for which Christ Jesus has also laid hold of me. I press toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Nevertheless, to the degree that we have already attained, let us walk by the same rule. Let us be of the same mind. Let's pray. Lord, we ask that today we would receive this encouragement, that we would realize that we are in a race and we are called to run in this race in a way that pleases you. Lord, that we would depend upon your strength, the strength of the Holy Spirit, that it's only through Jesus that we can run this race the right way. So Lord, strengthen us, maybe wake us up today from spiritual apathy, Lord, shake us up to understand that we are in a place that it is critical that we run the right way. So we pray this all in your name, in Jesus' name. Together we said, amen. You may be seated. There in verse 12, he begins with the first essential to win the Christian race. And he says this, not that I've already attained or I'm already perfected. Having given them an explanation of what the goal is, Christ-likeness or sanctification being set apart for Christ Jesus, he reminds them, I have not arrived yet. I have not obtained this yet. I have not achieved this goal yet. I have not gained possession of. In fact, what he's saying is, he says, I have not received this. I have not become this. I've not done this. I have not accomplished everything yet. Or, notice what he says, I have not reached perfection. He uses the word perfection. In fact, the word perfection means maturity. I don't count myself as if I am fully spiritually mature or finished or complete. Here we see a dissatisfaction in the life of Paul. He's saying, I am not who I ought to be. Today I pray that you would realize that you are not who you should be yet that there is still more to find out about Jesus, that there is still more to trust in Jesus, there is still more to step out in faith and to grow, to follow him, to become like him, to trust in him. Because that's exactly what he's saying. And he's telling us that we'll never reach completion or we'll never reach perfection as a Christian, yes, because we live in a sinful nature, but we can live in constant progress towards Christ-likeness, this is possible. So perfection may never be possible, but progress is. And today I want to ask you, are, are you walking spiritually in this life and running this race where there's progress? Are you going forward or are you going backward? Because the race towards Christ-likeness that he talks about involves first and foremost uh, 
uh, an honesty and a sense of dissatisfaction of where you are. In fact, it's a sanctified dissatisfaction. That's the first essential to progress in the Christian life, understanding that you are not where you need to be. Understanding that today we need to seek Christ more in prayer. That today we can be searching Him in God's Word even more so. That we can be taking new steps of faith. You know, there are many Christians today, many believers even, maybe you've come here and instead of being uh, having this sanctified dissatisfaction where they're pursuing Christ, there's a self-satisfaction. And the reason why we're self-satisfied sometimes is because we compare our running or we compare our race with other Christians. And usually the people that we like comparing ourselves to are the ones that never make progress. So we always say, well, I'm running this race really good in comparison to that other person who is not making any progress at all. Notice the first essential is to cultivate an attitude that you know that you have not arrived yet, that you have not reached perfection, that you have not reached full maturity, that you would not try to display this image as if you know it all or you're arrived yet, but evaluating yourself honestly, striving to do better for Christ. You know what this looks like? That you don't make yourself out to be better than what you really are. But that you also don't make yourself to be worse than what you really are. That you're living a life that is pressing on. This is why he says this after having this awareness. Verse 12, notice what he says. But I press on that I may lay hold of that for which Christ Jesus has also laid hold of me. And here where he says, but I press on, this word means that you're doing it continually. It's not something that you do only once. This is something that you intentionally pursue continually. In fact, the word press on in the Greek, it's a word that means a sprinter in a race that, that is referred to one that it was deliberately, aggressively, with energetic action, giving himself over to maximum capacity and commitment in every stride. You think about an athlete that's ready to run the race. What is he doing? He's now giving himself over to maximum capacity and commitment. What Paul is saying here, I have not arrived, and I give myself over to maximum capacity, energy, and commitment pursuing sanctification, being set apart for Christ that with all my might so that I can win the prize. You know what he's not doing? He's not turning back. There is no turning back for Paul anymore here. He's saying, I'm pressing on in spite of knowing that in this life, I never will fully arrive. I'm running the race without hindrances. You know, Paul explains the Christian life as one running a race. In Hebrews chapter 12, verse 1, he says this in regards to the race and how we should run the race. He says, therefore, since we're surrounded, Hebrews 12, 1, by so great a cloud of witnesses because you have great spiritual influences that have gone before you, let us lay aside every weight and the sin that so easily ensnares you. What is the sin that ensnares you? It's the sin that holds you back. It's the weight that hinders you running. 
And let us run with endurance, he says, or with perseverance, the race that is set before you. How? Looking unto Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith. Today, if we're going to press on, we must lay aside whether it's sin or whether it's weights that are slowing us down. And I want to tell you something. Oftentimes, we are overcommitted in things of this world that God has never called us to commit to, so it, they slow us down in this Christian race. And you may be wondering, well, what is a weight? A weight usually doesn't look like a weight in your life until you start running. <laughs> and then you realize, this is slowing me down. If it doesn't help you, I want you to know this, it's slowing you down in the race. And as a runner in this race, in order to press on, you must lay aside the sin. You must lay aside the way so you can run this race with endurance. It's a long-distance race. You want to run with endurance, perseverance. There's a race that's set before you, and he says, I press on that I may lay hold of. Notice verse 12, he says this. The word lay hold of so that I can possess this, so that I can seize this. Paul pressed on for what Jesus wanted. The reason why I'm pressing on in this race, he explains there in verse 12, is because I have one consuming passion and effort, and that is to pursue God and to do His will for my life, not my own. How do you press on that way? By going to God's Word and listening to what His will is for you. By laying aside everything that's getting in the way of you running in a way that pleases God. By confessing and repenting from sin in your life, that for so long has held you back in this race. And he's saying, I'm pressing on. That's the very goal that Paul pursued to attain, that he was determined to lay hold of for that which Christ Jesus had laid hold of him. In other words, what he's saying is, is I want to pursue, I want to attain the reason as to why God pursued me. He's living with purpose He's running the race with intention. He's saying, I'm running in a way to pursue the very reason as to why God pursued me. Now, we have to run with such deliberate intention that way. Not be so casual in the race. Not say, well, you know what? If I make it, I make it. Or you've always known those people that are in a team or in competition, right? That they would say, you know what? It doesn't really matter if you win or lose. It's about having fun, Right? And there's other people that say, I don't care if we don't have fun, we're going to win. <laughs> here he's saying, I'm in this race to win it. I'm not here to get a medal that says I participated, I want to win. And, and notice, it's not passivity that you're reading here, it's activity. There are too many Christians, they say, I'm saved now, I just come to church, I'll sometimes serve the Lord. When it comes to my giving, I don't have to faithfully do that. I'll do what's convenient to me. That is not running the race, what's convenient to you. And we use this terminology, let God and let go. Or let go and let God. <laughs> you know what Paul is saying? I, I'm not doing that right now. I'm, this is an all-out effort now. If I'm going to do this, I'm going to do this with all of my heart. So that I can lay a hold of, so that I can pursue the very reason why he pursued me. On that road to Damascus, when Christ pursued Paul, after that, it changed his life. And now he said, 
I'm going to pursue the reason as to why God pursued me. God had a calling on his life, and he said, I'm going to pursue that. What was it that God called Paul to do? Why is it that God has laid hold of you today? The reason why he laid hold of you is to conform you to his glorious image. He's saying, I want to lay hold of that which Christ has laid hold of me. And it begins with being conformed to his image, Romans 8.29. We all love that verse, Romans 8.28, for all things work together for good to those who love God, those who are called according to his purpose. But all things work together for good in order that, verse 29, the next verse. For whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. What is he doing? He has now called us to be conformed to the image of his son. So he's saying, Paul here, I want to be conformed to the image of his son. That is the reason why he laid hold of me. In Romans 6, verse 4, Paul tells the church of Rome that we should walk in the newness of life. God gave you a new life, and he's called you to be conformed to his image. So he's saying, I'm pressing on deliberately with maximum effort and now commitment in this race with every single stride with the intention and purpose of being conformed to the image of Christ. This is what he wants to do. Now, how do you do this? How do you pursue Christ? I want to tell you this. You pursue Christ by living a disciplined life. Not a casual life. I want you to know a disciplined life. In 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 24, Paul speaks of, to the church of Corinth, a carnal church. A church that was compromising. A church that wanted to be casual. You know what happens when you want to be casual in your Christian life? You know what happens out of being casual? Casualties. And he says this, 1 Corinthians 9, 24, do you not know that those who run in a race all run? But only one receives the prize. Run in such a way that you may obtain it. Run today like you want to win the prize. And everyone who competes for the prize is tempered in all things. Now they do it to obtain a perishable crown. Now think about this, an earthly athlete running in an earthly race. What does he do? He's running for a perishable crown that they would give them. He says, but not us, we run for an unperishable crown. When we get to heaven, the crown that we receive, no one can take away. The crown that we receive is given by God. It never loses value. It doesn't get old. It always has the rewards of God included. It does not perish. Therefore, I run thus. Notice what he says here again about running. I, th I run thus not with uncertainty. I know where I'm going. I'm not doubting where I'm going. I'm running not with uncertainty. Thus, I fight not as one who beats the air. I'm not just shadow boxing. I'm not pretending, preparing for a race. I'm in the race. I'm in the fight right now. Ah, this is not a pretend. This is not a scrimmage. We are in the race right now. And notice what he says. But I discipline my body and bring it under subjection. I buffet my body and bring it under subjection. Notice it says, I buffet my body. I discipline my body. It doesn't say, I buffet my body. I buffet it. I, 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 I discipline it. And I bring it under submission. I bring it under submission. Lest when I preach to others, I myself should become disqualified. So he says, 
I'm going to discipline my life in this race so that I'm not disqualified. I'm going to discipline myself to do this the right way so that I'm not disqualified. Think about what an athlete does. What does he do? He tells his body what to do. He disciplines his body to run in the race at maximum effort to win the prize. What is he, he tells his body when to wake up. He tells his body when to sleep. The athlete tells his body what to eat, what to do, how much to run, how much to train. He's not sitting around all sloppy, all lazy, unorganized, undisciplined, just sitting around saying, I'm just going to sit here and wait for my medal. Most Christians are like that oftentimes. They, you know, I'm just going to sit here and I never have to work out, but one day I'm going to get a crown. I don't know where you got that from. The Bible says that we must run the race to win the prize. That one day we're going to get to heaven. Notice what? He's going to, there's going to be an award ceremony. And all our words are going to be tested there at the beam of seat. So he's saying, don't just sit there, Run. <laughs> But run like you're going to win, not like you're going to lose. In Galatians 5, 7, he says, you ran well. He tells the Galatians, who hindered you from obeying the truth? You were running well. What stopped you? What's stopping you right now? What's hindering you right now? Is there something in your life, maybe someone in your life that's hindering you, that's holding you back in this race? 1 Timothy 6, 12, what does he say? Fight the good fight of faith. Lay hold on of eternal life. Run and then fight. Be active. Pursue this Christian life. Philippians 2.12, the previous chapter. What does he say? Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. We have a responsibility after becoming saved to live this life, to run in this race in a way that pleases God. He calls now for an all-out pursuit of Christ. We're in an all-out pursuit of Christ Jesus. We're resisting temptation. We're saying no to sin. We're living a disciplined life. We desire godliness. Because no matter how far you've come today, I want you to know this and listen, no matter how far you've come today, you still have not arrived. You're not there yet. And you, can't, you cannot run this race, and, and please know this, looking backward. So he says, I press on with commitment, but notice number two, I press forward because you cannot run this race looking backward. Notice what he says in verse 13. Let's look at it. He says, brethren or loved ones. You see his heart here that he loves them as he exhorts them. And he tells them in verse 13 again, I do not count myself to have apprehended. He repeats it again. I don't consider that I've laid hold of this yet. I don't think that I've achieved it. I know I haven't. But in verse 13, he speaks not only of a dissatisfaction in verse 12, but now it's followed by a devotion. Yes, you may not be there yet, but we must be devoted every single day of our lives towards Christ's likeness and our pursuit in this race to win the prize not becoming comfortable, not, not holding back from a dissatisfaction that is followed by a devotion. Because he says this, notice how his focus is in verse 13. But one thing I do. I want you to circle that in your Bible. But one thing I do. I know that I haven't arrived, but there's a godly ambition. Now he doesn't say many things I do. 
He says, but one thing I do. It's a one thing mindset. He's reduced this whole pursuit of sanctification, this whole pursuit of godliness to a simple and clear goal of doing one thing. Notice he says one thing. What's the goal in that one thing? Pursuing Christ's likeness. There's a concentration and there's a consecration. One thing. A concentration and a consecration. There are many times that Christians, you know what they want to do? They want to do many things. I know that I need to get there, so I'm going to do many things. Or overcommitted doing things that Christ never called you to do. Or putting your hand to a work that God said, that's not what I'm doing right now. You know what he's saying? I'm doing one thing right. That's his devotion. D.L. Moody said it best when he said, it's better to say this one thing I do than to say these 40 things I dabble with. (laughs) It's better that you say right now, I'm doing one thing than to say I'm trying to do 40 things right now. And the Bible just speaks of one thing throughout the Old Testament and the New Testament. In fact, the psalmist David knew exactly what this meant. He had a one thing mindset in Psalms 27, verse 4. You know what he said? He said one thing. He started Psalms 27, verse 4. One thing I've desired from the Lord, and that I will seek. I want to ask you today, what do you want right now? Is there one thing that you want? If Christ were to ask you right now, what is it? one thing you would ask of me, what would it be? (laughs) Or do you want many things? Because here he's saying, one thing I've desired, Psalms 24, 7, and that I will seek, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to behold the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in His temple. You know what the psalmist wanted? David, one thing. I want to be in his presence. I want to seek the Lord. I want to inquire in his temple. I want to behold the beauty of the Lord. I want to pray to him. I want to seek him. I've asked for one thing. What about Mary and Martha as Jesus goes into their house? And there they are, and Martha's preparing a place for Jesus, wanting to display the works of hospitality. And Mary is sitting at the feet of Jesus, just listening to his word. The Bible tells us that Martha goes to Jesus and says, Jesus, don't you care? Mary's doing nothing. I'm doing everything. Tell her something. Starts to complain in front of Jesus. Just think about that. You have Jesus right in front of you, and you're complaining. And you know what Jesus does? He looks at her, and just with so much love, Martha, Martha. Sometimes he tells that to us, too. He'll say her name twice, right? Oh, come on. Martha, Martha, he says. You're worried and troubled about many things. You are distracted with many things. And notice what he says, but one thing is needed. If you're going to press on, you need to focus on one thing today. And Mary has chosen that good part which will not be taken away from her. What is that one thing? Listening to his word, seeking him. To behold the beauty in his temple, one thing. Eyes focused on Jesus. What about the man in John chapter 9? He was healed. And the religious leaders came to him and says, you know what? Who healed you? Tell us. Was he a sinner? Was he not? They were jealous. They wanted the power. The religious power. And they go to his parents and his parents says, he's of age. You ask him. That's our son. He was blind. Now he's not blind. You go ask how he was healed. They go and they find him. They said, tell us, was this man a sinner who healed you? 
And I love his answer. It's an incredible answer. It's the same story of our lives today. He says whether he was a, this man was a sinner or whether he wasn't a sinner. I, listen, I don't know. All I know is one thing. I was blind, now I see. One thing is needed. Too many of us today are involved in many things. But the secret to this progress in this race to press on or to press forward is to concentrate on one thing. To not be all over the place. To not say today I'm going to go to church and next week if I'm not, you know, if I'm too tired on Saturday night, I had a long night, I'm not going to go today. We must devote ourselves to running the Christian race because no athlete succeeds in the race by doing everything. You know what he succeeds in the race by? By specializing in one thing. And today we're either in this race devoted one thing, pressing on, pressing forward, we're either devoted or we're distracted. Nehemiah in the Old Testament, Nehemiah 6, he's rebuilding the walls of Jerusalem. And it says that Tobiah and Sambalat come and says, hey, let's have a meeting, let's talk. Tobiah and Sambalat represent the flesh, the works of the devil that come and try to hinder the work of the Holy Spirit. And you know what Nehemiah said? He didn't say, well, look who's calling me. I, I need to go do that. You know what he says? He sent messengers. He says, I'm doing a great work. I can't come down. Why should the work cease while I leave it to go down to you? You know what a, a, a man and woman of God know how to say who are pursuing one thing? You know how to, they know how to say? They know how to say this. No. <laughs> Some of us are doing too many things because we keep saying yes to everything and not no to protect our time for the very thing that God has called us to do. If you're listening to the voice of God, if you're being led by the Spirit, you know you are more willing to say no to those things that come before you that masquerade themselves as opportunities, but truly what they are are distractions. And here he's saying, one thing I do, I don't, I'm not trying to do everything like a double-minded person that's unstable in all of my ways. If I'm going to press on, I must do it with commitment. And if I'm going to now press forward, uh, as he speaks of it here in verse 13, I must focus on doing one thing. Now notice what he says here in verse 13 also. Forgetting those things which are behind me and reaching forward to those things which are ahead. Forgetting those things which are behind me and reaching forward to those things which are ahead. This is what it means to be devoted. To disregard those things which are behind. Now, there are three things in the past that he's referring to. In fact, here he's saying, I refuse to rely on past victories or past achievements or in the ministry that I was in before to dwell on sins or in failures that I've committed in the past or to be distracted by the present efforts, whether they were good things or whether there were bad things, whether there were successes, or whether there were failures. You know what he's saying here? I I'm going to forget or disregard the things that are behind me so that I can press on forward to those things that are ahead. Whether those things were good or bad, he's breaking the power of the past to live for the future. We have to learn this one thing mindset so that we can also put aside, forget those things which are behind us. 
Because sometimes what we try to do is we try to reach forward, we try to press on, but still talking about the past all the time. Have you ever met that, that person maybe? Every time they talk, you know what the first two words or first few words that they always say? I used to, right? You know what, when it comes to something, I used to do that, right? You go to the gym with someone, you guys are about to work out. Oh man, you should have you seen me when I was younger. I used to, I used to bench press all this weight. Oh, you know what? You see them running. I used to run just like that. More, more than that. Or what about those that say, well, the good old days. Three things that we need to leave behind that can hinder us. Number one, past victories. Number two, past sins. And number three, past hurt. Past hurt. Think about how past victories can slow you down. It's like a runner in the blocks getting ready to run his race. And all the runners are getting ready to run this race. And one of the runners, what he does is he tells the other runners, he's looking to the side, you know, guys, I've won many of these before. What are the other runners going to say? You know what? That doesn't matter. Who cares? This is another race. Get in the blocks and get ready to run. And even victories can make you comfortable, even victories in the past, saying, well, look how God used me in the past. I know the gifts God called me to do. Many years I've been in the church, you can, ask, you can tell yourself. And you can become comfortable, begin cruising, complacent, going through the motions because you're relying on the victories of yesterday. There's so many people that have not let go of the past that they're still trying to catch up to yesterday that we would let go, forget past victories. Number two, what about past sins? If there are those past sins in our lives, we have to say, well, Lord, we take them to you. We put them under the blood of Jesus Christ. We ask for forgiveness and we move on. Because we cannot be stuck or paralyzed allowing the past to obstruct us of progress towards the goal in this race. In fact, you know what Paul is doing here? He's saying, I want to forget my self-righteousness. I want to forget my past sins, my striving, the harm that I caused to the church done in my pride, in my arrogance. I want to leave the condemnation or the guilt behind. The past is over. Notice this. Leave it behind. You must leave it behind. Paul told Timothy in 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 12. Notice what he says, and I thank God Jesus Our Lord who has enabled me, I thank God who put me into the ministry. He counted me faithful. He put me into the ministry. Although, notice what he says, I was formerly a blasphemer, a persecutor, an insolent man, but I obtained mercy because I did it ignorantly in unbelief. And the grace of our Lord Jesus was exceedingly abundantly with faith and love, which are in Christ Jesus. He's saying, I used to be this way, but Christ forgave me and he put me in the ministry. I've moved on. Do not let your past life, do not let the past sins, do not let past guilt and condemnation dictate what God wants to do in your life today. Whether it's victories, whether it's past sins, or what about this past hurts? Past hurts. So many people say, you know what? Well, I want to serve the Lord, but at the church I was before, I was hurt there. Or you know what, that brother hurt me, that sister hurt me. 
Joseph, in, in the book of Genesis, what an example that, yes, although he was hurt by his brothers, he didn't hold any grudges against them. He didn't nurse his pain. He didn't say, I'm going to hold on to this hurt, and I'm going to take it with me, and I'm never going to let it go. He saw the past from God's point of view, and Joseph knew that God had a plan for his life. Joseph knew that God had put him in a race to run, and he was fulfilling his plan, looking ahead. So what did he do? He broke the power of the past. And what did he tell his brothers when they discovered that it was Joseph? He said, what you meant for evil, what did he say? God intended for good. God turned it for good. Because God had a purpose behind it. The Bible tells us in 2 Corinthians 5.17, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, what is he? A new creation? Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become brand new. Here he's saying, I'm forgetting the things which are behind me. Do not be shackled by regrets, by pain of the past that are trying to slow you down. Because you're always looking backward, because you're always blaming the past. Do not blame the past anymore. You know what happens when you blame the past? You, as a result, you stumble. And you're never able to run the race the way God wants you to do. Looking behind us oftentimes keeps us from boldly doing what God has called us to do in the future. It's like, it's like driving a car, trying to go forward, but always looking at the rear view mirror. You know what's going to happen? You're going to soon get off the road. You have to stop looking backward. The goal is to move forward. Now, I want to make something very clear today because we don't dishonor our history. Uh, we don't forget about our history. We, we look towards our history as an example, but we want to minister in the here and in the now. Knowing what God's called you to do right now, we honor the past. We're thankful for the past. We learn from the past. But notice this, we do not worship the past. If you want to go forward, if you want to press on, if you want to reach forward, do not worship the past. Jesus said, no one having put his hand to the plow, looking back, is fit for the kingdom of God. Well, you know what? I was going to serve the Lord, but I just don't trust people anymore. Stop looking back. Put your hand to the plow and look forward to what God wants you to do. In Hebrews 6.1, what does he say? And let us go on to perfection. Leave the discussion of the elementary principles. Don't just be a baby your entire life, he says. You know what he says? Grow up now. Go on to perfection. Go on to maturity. Some of us here need to let things go of the past. Just let it go today. Confess it. Repent it. Put it under the blood of Jesus Christ and move on so that God can do a new work in your life. How is your marriage going to be restored if you keep looking back? How is your Christian walk going to be restored if you keep looking back? Notice he has a dissatisfaction. He has a devotion, one thing. But notice he also has direction. It's not only long obedience in the same direction, it's long obedience in the right direction. Verse 13, notice as it continues, reaching forward to those things which are ahead. Reaching forward to those things which are 
ahead. What is he doing? He's reaching forward now. He has direction. Here's the word, forward. He's forget the things that are behind him so that he can reach forward. The word reaching forward means that you're stretching as in a race. You're not saying this is the way that I've always done it. You're not saying I'm always going to do it this way. You're saying I'm leaving those things behind me so that I can move forward and I can continue to grow. He's, the word reaching forward means that you're being stretched in a race. You're, you're striding as far ahead as possible as a runner to run in this race at maximum capacity. You're not comfortable. You're not content. You're not complacent. You're looking forward at what lies ahead. Straining every spiritual muscle in your life for the pursuit of Jesus Christ. Every spiritual muscle. You're in prayer. You're in the word. You're in fellowship. You're not just casual about your Christian walk. You're evangelizing. You're telling people about Jesus. You're going for it for Jesus. That's what it means. Reaching forward, stretching myself. So many people think, you know what, that's too much for me. <laughs> well, maybe that's why God brought you today, so you can hear it. That today you should be reaching forward, stretching yourself like an athlete that throws himself in the race with all his energies, strained to the very utmost. You know what he's saying? I'm not slowing down. I'm not slowing down, he's saying here. I'm reaching forward. We talked to the staff this week here. In regards to running a race, and you always know who wants to win the race when it comes to the finish line. And there are two runners head-to-head. -head. What happens? You really know who wants to win the race because one runner, what do they do? You've seen those videos. What do they, they throw themselves across that finish line, right? They have every intention to win. They're in the race to win. They're not in the race to participate. Even, and even in an earthly race, an athlete today, if they, for temporal awards, they strain themselves, how much more should we, recipients of a heavenly call, reach forward to the things that God has for us? Expecting for godliness, for Christ-likeness, for that reward that we receive in heaven. So run the race in a way that honors God. That, you're say, that you say you're a Christian and you're running your race with confidence, with boldness, without fear, without slack, not lagging, but you're fully committed. You're looking towards the future with hope. In fact, oftentimes it's interesting because we always tell time by past, present, and future. But that's actually the truth of it, that that's backwards because time is always flowing out of the future into the present and then to the past. Now, what does that mean? That means that we're always running into the future of what God wants next. The future is going to happen whether we like it or not. So you know what we must do? Press forward. Today I want to tell you, press on. And then number two, as you read here now, reach forward to the things which are what? Ahead. Where are they? Ahead of you. You're not there yet. They're ahead of you. There was a missionary called David Livingston. You maybe read or heard of him before. And he was in Africa as doing missionary work for many years. He came home after a long time there in Africa and having seen the hand of God move powerfully there. But when he came home, he was asked, Mr. Livingston, where will you go next? Where will you go next? You know what he answered? 
He said, I'm ready to go anywhere provided it is to go forward. Provided it is to go forward. Today, are you going forward or are you going backward? Because although there's a dissatisfaction, there's a devotion of one thing, there's a direction of forward, we can still lose the race and the reward. Without this fourth essential that's so important for the believer here, and he explains it here, number uh, 14 here, verse 14, I press toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. What should we be doing pressing toward that goal? Forgetting the things that are behind us, reaching forward to those things which are ahead. Paul tells them, press on. Then he says, press forward. And then he tells them also, press toward the goal. Today, God's calling you to press on, to press forward, and to press toward the goal. How do we do that? Lay aside any weight or sin that's slowing you down so that we can run in a race in a way that honors God. And you would say, well, I have my own plan to run this race. That's not the plan that God wants. The plan is right here in God's word, that you would seek him, that you would say, I'm not slowing down. Right now, in the last days that we're living in, it is not the time to slow down. Right now is time, more than ever, that Christians would stand up and say, I'm going to run this race with confidence, with boldness, with fearlessness, because I'm an example of a Christian. Whether you're at home, at work, at church, wherever you go, you're running the race, pressing on. Let's go ahead and pray.